Hey everyone, welcome back to the Repeatable Revenue Podcast. I'm your host, Ray Green, and if you're in a revenue leadership role, you're in the right place. On this podcast, we explore all the things it takes to create reliable, repeatable sales growth in your business. So we talk strategy, tactics, marketing, sales, culture, leadership, and maybe most importantly, self-leadership. You'll learn from me and my experience from sales rep to CEO, as well as other guests and experts. Check out rayjgreen.com for more information about me and our community of entrepreneurs. Thanks for listening. Now, let's dive into why you're here today. Well, uh, welcome to the show, Marcus. Ray, my man, pumped to be here. Excited to, uh, to, to dive deep and talk about whatever you want to talk about. Oh, we have a lot to cover. I'll tell you, this is... <laughs> I want to tell the audience, this is, I'm actually, I'm really excited about this show and I haven't actually told you this part of it. And it's, it's because, you know, we've talked like a good amount on, on LinkedIn and we chat and, but there have been like a couple of conversations and things that you've done that really, really influenced what I'm doing with my business today. A year ago, we had a, a conversation about community and it was after that call, I thought, damn, like he's got some really great ideas, but I'm excited about this because I love your sales content. I know we share a lot of the same philosophies when it comes to leadership. And I respect you as, as an entrepreneur and kind of watching this journey that you've undergone over these past couple of years. So pleasure is all mine and very stoked to dive into this. Well, I appreciate it. But I remember that conversation we had over a year ago. I'm like, I remember when you first messaged me, I'm like, is this guy trying to sell me something? And I'm like, no, he's been, a, he's been a real dude. We have a real conversation. It was cool. And then I'm like, wait, hold on. Where are you actually? You're in you're Mexico. That's uh, that's amazing. <laughs> and that was the start of our friendship. It was amazing. Right. Well, who knows? Maybe I still maybe it's just a very the slow play on the still trying to sell you something. We'll see. Who uh, knows? Who knows? <laughs> but I think if that's the case, I probably need some training from you on on how to close this deal. I hope uh, you how to sell me. There you go. <laughs> right. Well, I uh, yeah, really, really excited to dive into this. So you know, I, I read a good deal about your your background and, and you know, kind of your career trajectory. And the more that I read, candidly, I thought. You know, Marcus is pretty modest when he talks about his background. I mean, the when I look at promoted 10 times in 10 years and, you know, your success at what you've done at other companies and in sales, just tell me your your story into sales. Like, how did you, what got you into sales? Like, what was that? What was that path? Why'd you go that direction? Yeah. So, you know, first off, uh, I never thought I'd go into sales. It wasn't something that I was predestined to do or wanted to do. And I was definitely not a quote unquote born salesperson. Now, you know, when I was going to college, you know, my, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I was, I was actually supposed to be an architect. That was just my plan. And it was only because I loved to draw. Back then, as a kid, I loved drawing. So I'm like, okay, I can be an architect because my parents wanted me to be a doctor or a lawyer. I'm like, I'm not into that. Maybe I'll be an architect. And then I actually did a job shadow right before I turned my application and I hated it. I pictured late nights with the drafting board, drawing things. And I, I thought it was so awesome. What I really saw was everything was on AutoCAD. It's on computer. I'm like, this is not what I expected. So I literally threw my application in the trash when it undeclared. And then I really didn't know what I was going to do in college. So eventually I'm like, I'll just do business because I think that's a pretty safe you know, overall thing. Did that. And then before I graduated, you know, I was really fortunate. I actually had five job offers on the table. And there were a mixture of different types of roles, right? I did some internships, et cetera. Some were sales, like, you know, sales roles. Some were like analyst roles. It was a wide variety. And um, one offer, which is the lowest offer, was for a, a B2B sales role. And it was for the company I was already working for as an intern, full-time in B2B sales. It was a startup division, brand new. 
And I remember uh, I turned down my other offers, the highest offers, like 60K a year. And uh, I turned out all the other offers. And my parents are like, what is wrong with you? Why did you choose this offer? And I'm, I'm like, well, I think there's a really good opportunity here where I can really learn how to build a business. And, you know, and hopefully I'll get promoted. It'll be really, really good. And, and plus, I trust the leader. So for me, I saw the vision of this opportunity to build something from scratch. It wasn't even that I wasn't going to sales, more so I could build something from scratch. Now, my parents were absolutely right. Once I started, I'm like, this is really sales. It was cold calling, knocking on doors, and doing all those things. And when I started, I, I really struggled. It was really hard because it was going in and doing things that was really uncomfortable. It was uncomfortable to make cold calls, uncomfortable to knock on doors, uncomfortable to ask for the business, and I struggled. And then fortunately, eventually I figured it out and started having success from there. And then from there, for years though, I still wasn't willing to admit I was in sales. Like when someone asked me, hey, Marcus, what do you do? If I said sales, I felt embarrassed. I'm like, oh, I'm in sales. Like, oh, okay. I could see on their face they were thinking, well, what do you really want to do? And, you know, as a young kid back then, you're like, well, that's not that's not comfortable. So as I started having success, I started getting promoted multiple times. And then I was, I was leading teams of people. And I was really enjoying that because I was selling but leading people as well. So I could really identify as being a leader. That was really what I associated myself with. And then it got to a point where, I, you know, in my career, I felt like in order to get to the next level from an income, responsibility, and leadership, I would have to do it somewhere else because I also had this fear that what if I was a one-hit wonder? What if at the company I was, maybe it was this circumstances? And even though I sold like a little during the last recession, I'm like, maybe I got lucky. Maybe I got lucky winning these awards. Maybe I got lucky beating people up. Maybe I just got lucky. It was just right time, right place. So I made the leap. There was a downward promotion, if you, or it was, it was a um, basically a demotion, if you will, by title, by two levels. So I took a downward step, two levels, went to a completely different company. And I'm like, let's see if I can do this again. Because at this point, I'm like, well, you know what? Like my risk level, I can take out more risk. Let's try it out. So, and I mean, it was an educated guess. Went to the company. It was a very hard sale. It was a contractual-based sale for what they were selling. You know, very competitive. They are still a massive company as well. Really fortunate, had success from there, right? Ended up getting promoted in nine months at that company. Most people took about three to five years to get to that point. But I was able to get promoted pretty quickly, right? Basically doing everything I did before. And that was, uh, that was really neat to see. And then from there, I got promoted multiple times to the point I was leading massive teams. But it was at that point I realized I really love sales. I love the journey. I love what it's all about because sales is really about that ability to really influence and communicate. And I also realized when you really believe in what you have to offer, to really master selling is actually the highest level of service that you can do. To serve at the highest level is to sell. Because if you know your offer, your solution, your product can really change the lives of businesses or people, it is our duty to sell to them. It's our duty to gather attention, interrupt people's day, and provide them a solution that's really going to help them. And I realized that it took me years to get to that point, but now I understand that, right? And now I understand. So now it's like I became obsessive about that, and it's been great for my business because it's no different for me. I now get to sell what I get to create because I know it's going to change lives too. Yeah, that actually speaks to a little bit of what we were talking about before we did this on the transformation. Like if you right. if you're providing something of value and you're contributing to a positive transformation, you know, then it, it makes all the sense in the world that you have like a duty to sell successfully. It's when you get into that, if you're not convinced of that, if you're not convinced that you're you're delivering real value. And so you, I mean, you teach sales and I, I don't know if you, if you call them members or students, but you're the people that you teach. Do you have some students that are maybe in a, in a position where, Hey, I'm not sure I love this value prop, or I'm not sure that 
maybe we overpromise on our transformation. If you find yourself or if your students find themselves in a, in a role like that, what's your advice to them in terms of, of trying to navigate next steps or, or where to go with that? Yeah, you, you talk about in terms of if, if at their company, maybe they don't necessarily believe in the offer. Is that right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So that does pop up periodically, right? You know, one of the things that's, that's so key, especially what I train with the program is understanding when you can master sales, it becomes a vehicle to achieve your dreams. And the company you work for is part of that vehicle. And it's understanding that, right? Because most companies, whatever people are selling, most time people didn't wake up saying, I'm super passionate about X. Maybe. But most of the time it's not. Like for example, the first thing that I was selling was rental box trucks and lease trucks to businesses. Like if they had a fleet of vehicles, getting them to switch over to our fleet solution was what I was selling. I didn't wake up one day and say I would love to, you know, sell lease, you know, vehicle leases and fleet programs. I, no, no one says that, right? Like nobody says that. And I, but I did do it. But what I did see was, hey, you know what? If I'm able to, you know, provide these companies with a fleet solution, it will help them serve to their customers more and deliver more. And their business is going to grow, which will positively impact the business. So I, I saw it as something greater. And that's what's key to understand for those out there who are not able to see that quite yet. What you got to ask yourself is, hey, so when we are able to provide them this, this whatever it's going to be, this solution, whatever it's going to be, let's say it's internet, maybe you sell telecommunications. Let's, if I provide them this awesome telecommunications package, what does that really mean for that business owner? What does that really mean for that business? It's not just you provide them wireless connectivity. You are providing them a tool now they can run their whole business on. A tool that allows them to connect to their customers and serve them at a higher level to provide customer service to whatever it's going to be, right? Like think about if you are a in selling wireless internet and you're selling to say a bar, well, you are now selling them not just internet, you are selling them you know, a package that's going to allow them to be able to have, you know, stream TV, stream whatever, and bring in more customers and clients and provide them a great, awesome experience. So for the people that are coming to the bar who's had a rough day, they have a place to go, a place to watch sports and hang out because you are able to provide them a service. So it's being able to see beyond what the actual features and benefits of what you're bringing, but what type of real transformation can you help them with? And a lot of times, most people do not think that deep. But I think about it, it's for anything that you do. So for example, let's just say if you're an auto mechanic, right? You're an auto mechanic. You're not just fixing a car. You are taking care of the transportation for their family. Like when that car runs really well, they don't have to worry. And now they can take their family to and from wherever they need to go, whether it's school, vacations, et cetera. And it's understanding that whatever you sell has a major, have a major part of their transformation in their lives, that's when you start selling a higher level because now you realize you're doing yourself a disservice by not selling to them. So it takes a little bit of training and revamping to really understand how's it really help me. And a really simple way to understand this is say, for example, let's just say you sell something that's not glamorous at all, right? It's just like, you're like, oh, I'm not even sure. I sell, I don't know, light bulbs to schools or something, right? <laughs> and you're like, that's just light. It's just light bulbs. It's just light bulbs. Well, think about this. Like when you are selling to them, ask them, hey, let's say, hey, you know, Mr. Or Mrs. Decision Maker, like, you know, where do you currently get your light bulbs? Okay, cool. Why are these important to you? How does it actually help you? And start digging deep and understanding, oh, you know what? Well, the reason we have light bulbs is because, well, when kids come in, we need to be able to see where everything is. Okay, cool. Why else? Well, it creates a safe environment for people. Okay, why else? You know, well, so this way, you know, it's like, um, it's an uncomfortable and open environment for everyone. Mm, 
okay, cool. So I understand you, right? Having good light bulbs or a quality that are going to last is actually about creating a safe environment for your students. Is that right? Yes, it is. So now you're truly able to go to a deeper route versus saying, oh, you know what? We're going to just sell light bulbs because they, they need light. No, you are providing a better environment for people. So it's understanding that that's how you start making a shift to becoming, you know, someone who's just, you know, being a pitch person versus being someone who's actually going to be a consultant, and truly offer a solution that will help them achieve an end desire they're shooting for. Yeah, that's awesome. It reminds me of um, one of my old bosses. I don't know the origin of the story. One of my old bosses used to talk about, they asked somebody at NASA, you know, like who was, you know, one of the, a janitor or somebody that was, and they said, what do you do here? He said, help him put a man on the moon, you know, and it's like, the, right. the perspective that you, you have it's going to influence your results as a salesperson, but it's also going to give you that inner fire. Like if you look at, I'm here helping somebody transform, I'm here helping somebody do whatever it is. That's where the, like the internal proactive, you know, fire in the belly comes from, as opposed to, you know, if you don't think it's, you know, terribly important. And I, I imagine a portion of that is, is mindset discipline, right? You know, when you're working with people from a sales standpoint, what are some of the, the mindset mistakes that you see most common? Yeah, so I think uh, number one, one of the most common ones, most of them ask themselves bad questions. And here's what I mean by that. So your outer world is a reflection of your inner world. So the truth is the hardest territory to manage is always gonna be the one that's right between your ears. In sales, when most time it's felt rejection is tough and you get negative things that happen, let's just say, for example, if you make a cold call and you get shut down the cold call, what most people start thinking about, and I know I did, and still creeps in even now, is, oh, what's wrong with them? Why were they such a jerk? I can't believe they did that to me. They're so stupid and lame, whatever. Or you, worse, you beat up on yourself. Oh, what is wrong with me? Why can't I make this happen? Why can't I be better on the phones? Why can't I do this? And you start second-guessing yourself. Those are very disempowering questions. So the first thing you must do is start changing the questions you ask yourself. That's one of the first things because human beings are very reactive in nature. And as Tony Robbins says, if you don't like the answer, ask a better question. That's really, really powerful. And questions can reframe your mind. So I'll give you examples. So early on when I was making cold calls, that would happen to me. I'd have those terrible questions. And then I read Tony Robbins' Awakening the Giant Within and I realized, man, I need to reframe how I think about these situations. So one of the ways I started doing that was a bad cold call. And before I went down that loop of negative negative questions, I would ask myself, what could I have done better? What could I have learned from here? What went really well? What can I do differently in the future to get a better result? What can I do proactively to lead to my highest possible win rate? And we start asking questions like that. Now you are asking empowering questions. And it forces your brain to think. And somebody's brain's like, oh, I don't, nothing, nothing went good. Okay, well, if I was to know, if I was to interpret something good out of it, what could I interpret? And you start realizing, you can start shifting your mind anytime something bad happens. Like, you know, for example, like I remember, um, you know, a couple of years ago, uh, my family was about to go to the beach and someone re-ends me. Boom, hits me from behind. You know, my wife's freaking out, my kid's freaking out. Nobody's injured, right? And yes, I could have gotten really upset. Like, oh my God, I just bought this new car and I was damaged. And, and yeah, I was, I was pissed for sure. But I'm like, okay, let me, let me reframe this. What could be great about this? Well, number one, no one got hurt. That's good. No one got hurt. Number two, I now know this car is pretty freaking safe. <laughs> like that guy hit me going like 30 miles per hour. That did a really good job. Wow. This is a really good purchase, right? And, and suddenly I'm like, okay, you know what? Hmm. You know, number three, like, man, this really, uh, you know, I was like, what could I do differently? I'm like, well, 
You know, like I could have left earlier. I could have left later. And I would have avoided this accident. When we started thinking that, now you have an ownership mentality and you start shifting how you think. So that's also one of the biggest things for sales professionals is, is really being able to reframe your mind. Because when you start reframing your mind that way, you start taking 100% ownership to everything you do. But also on top of that, you start seeking solutions versus problems. And so when you have something that doesn't go your way, you know, whether it's a discovery or a close, and when you ask those questions like, hmm, you know what? If only I'd done this on the front end, I think it would minimize chances of this. This is actually why I'm a firm believer pretty much every single sales process can get cut in half. Because oftentimes we add extra steps without realizing it that we could have done on the front end to minimize chances of that, you know, that happening on the back end. So understanding that, that's definitely very, very key. And being able to squash what I call ants immediately. And ants are automatic negative thoughts. So when you get that automatic negative thought creeping in your head, how are you squashing that? And asking those type of questions I mentioned are really, really vital. So key. So when you start understanding that and also the belief of selling at a higher level, you start becoming a better version of you, right? Because you're asking better questions and you start changing how you think. When you change how you think, then you start changing your beliefs. You start changing your beliefs, you start changing your habits. You start changing your habits, then your results start following that as a result. Man, there's a lot of gold in there. You mentioned proactive and I'm a, I'm a big you know, Stephen Covey fan. There's a reason I think that's the the first habit of of highly effective oh, yeah. people is right. you know, you can focus on the circle of concern, like the things that are, that concern you, or you can you can focus more time on your circle of influence, the things that you can actually change. And the more effective, successful people tend to focus more on the things that they can actually influence, that they can own, that they can change the outcome of. I like the squashing ants piece too. What do you recommend, you know, because that's whether you're a business owner or a salesperson or a coder, if you can master that, I imagine you're going to have you know very different results. What do you recommend for someone that's kind of just in the early phase? Like, okay, I'm going to I'm going to squash ants, but they have a habit of yeah. of prior thinking. Any tips or on on how to do that effectively? Yeah, so I think one of the things is um, understand peak performance is intentional right? To be a peak performer in life. And that includes squashing ants. And one of the best ways to squash ants is to make sure you feel freaking good as much as possible, right? That, that's just reality. But it takes skill to put yourself in a peak performing state. It's kind of like, you know, when you when you are coming off a high or something, you're, you're excited, you're pumped, you feel invincible. And that's, that's powerful because you, you just did something that you committed to that you wanted to do. So you want to be able to replicate your peak performing states, and I'm a firm believer the way you do is you also understand there are four energy buckets that help create your energy that really impact how you think. And the, the four buckets are it's your emotional, spiritual, mental, and physical buckets. That's why I'm a firm believer. You need to have ways to maximize each. So for example, it's about mental. It should be daily as well. For mental, like you talk about, you know, like the ants crawling in. Sometimes the ants crawl in because you're not controlling what's coming into your head. For example, if you are watching the news, the news is just bad. I mean, like, it literally, mm-hmm. like, there's nothing good in the news, okay? It doesn't matter what country you're in. The news is always negative because that attracts attention, right? So I don't read the news. It's the first thing. So I'm controlling my environment. Number two, if there's things that make you distraught, eliminate them mentally. For example, if social media makes you distraught, cut out social media. It's that simple. If Instagram makes you feel bad about yourself because you're comparing, cut out Instagram. Okay, so you start eliminating these things that actually make you feel bad. 
That's really, really key. And then it makes sure you're replacing them with things that are going to make you feel better. So, for example, if reading something that's going to get you fired up, like, you know, you're, a book that you're reading is going to be great and enlightening, read a book every day. Or not, you know, read parts of the book every single day. You know, if listening to podcasts is really helpful, like this awesome one, listen to podcasts every single day that lift you up and give you new ways of thinking, okay? You know, third part, who's part of your circle of influence, right? The people who's around you is so huge. If you're around a bunch of negative people, you'll become negative too. So if you can surround yourself with the right people, you'll become uplifted as well, right? Those are some of the key things. And then you add another part that's gonna make you feel more fulfilled. So for example, I'm a firm believer, you should you should work out every single day. You know, just some exercise. I'm not saying you need to go and crush two hours of the gym, but you gotta work out a little bit every single day. Whether even if it's for a brisk walk, move, get the blood flowing so you feel good. Like when you physically feel good, you perform better. So those days when you don't get proper sleep, you feel terrible the next day. You just do, right? So how can you control that? Because when you feel terrible, bad things happen. That's what happens, right? This is actually why I got an aura ring. An aura ring helps me track my sleep so I can improve my sleep to be a peak performer. So you start realizing there's things that we do that we can build into our habits that will make you feel, feel much better. If, you know what, if spending some time with your family every single night makes you feel really good and you have not done, have not done a good job with that, build time in. Spend time with your family. If that's refilling your emotional bucket, do it. If you read the Bible every day, Read the Bible every day. It makes you feel good. Do it. If you need to pray, go pray. But building these things that are going to be habits that happen every single day, not when you feel bad, do it before you feel bad. So you have a proactive approach to controlling the ants. So when you are feeling good and the ants start crawling in, it's much easier because you're more bulletproof to those ants versus being reactive. And then, of course, you add some, some strategies such as surrounding yourself with the right people, asking better questions. Now you're in a better position to squash those ants. And that's awesome. When, if I were if I were thinking about your answer, in some ways, what I would say, if I were to reframe it, I might say the answer, the symptom, right? So if you just try to address that without changing the underlying cause, it's going to be a really long road ahead of you. Whereas if you look at what's driving that, and and to your point, you know, you can change your environment, you can change your habits, and those that you know kind of affect the ants in your head. So you know, get to it at the at the root of the problem. hundred percent. The only thing I, I might add as you're talking is um, I have something I, I call a, a wind journal. And so I just, you know, it's every morning and I try every night, but I'm, I'm not as good at it at night, but I, every morning start the day with, I do exercise. Cause I have found in my state of mind, exercise is where I get headspace. It's where creativity comes. If on a bike, on a run, it's where I think most clearly. And so that's why I do that. But then the wind journal for me is a reminder of the recent things that I've done successfully, you know, because, you know, if you're driven, ambitious people, we can be tough on ourselves and, and always be looking at what we still need to do and not necessarily reflecting on, you know, Hey, I, I have exercised five days in a row, or I have, you know, made these steps, or if you're starting to take actions that you're recommending, just jot them down, like remind yourself of the wins along the way. So you're not constantly beating yourself up, looking at the road ahead, you know, I a hundred percent agree. Right. So every single night, I do a gratitude list and inside there, I list wins every single night because here's, here's, here's what I found, right? Because um, for me personally, I like nighttime because let's just say your day goes to crap. Now what <laughs> happens, right? Like then you're like, oh, you had the perfect day planned out. You worked out, you you meditated, your awesome morning routine, which I have a killer morning routine. But then the day happens and it, it falls to, you know, falls to shit, if you will. And then it's like, okay, cool. What do I do next, right? You can go into your night negative. How can you reframe your mind? And that's really powerful for me. What I also do as well, so I do track metrics every single day. 
And these allow me to make sure I'm focusing on the right things. Every single day I'm tracking metrics. I also have a weekly tracker as well to sum everything up. And then on top of that, I also have a journal where I have a call, I call it a decision journal. It's like, what decisions I make this week that are a little bit different that have, have had a good impact so far. So it's, it's, it's reinforcing, it's a feedback loop of reinforcing the right things. And then on a monthly basis, I reflect on the whole month. Went really well last month. What could have done better? Again, this forces you to constantly think and pause and look at your business and not let your business run you. Now you can run the business because now you are focused on being more proactive and you're pausing to think. And it's not like I just remember to do all these things. I have it all automated into like my to-do. So when it pops, I'm like, okay, time to do this. So now I have a system to remember, okay, you know what? Time to reflect on May. Time to reflect on the week. Time to do this. And this forces me to pause and just slow down and really make sure that I'm recognizing the progress I've made. Because it's so easy as an entrepreneur, as a sales professional to be like, go, 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 go. And a year flies by, you're like, that was a good or bad year, you don't really know. Maybe it's good, maybe it's bad. But most of the time you're like, wow, what else did I do? Is this all I accomplished? If it wasn't the year you wanted? Well, no, chances are you did a lot of really cool things. You just forgot. So have a place like a wind journal that you can look back and like, dang, I really have improved quite a bit as a result. It's like a, a personal operating system, you know. Oh yeah, hundred percent. What do you, if you don't mind me asking, on the metrics? What are some of the metrics that that you think are are most important? What do you track, or what what would you recommend if somebody were starting? So, in terms of being sales, in terms of um, you know, or just a business owner, what specifically? I would say um, either one. Like, if you're a sales professional, or as a or as a business owner, are there some metrics in that you're tracking on a daily basis that you think have led to the most? self-improvement or or just a better kind of a more positive perception of of how you're doing things it depends on where you are in your journey as well because when you're new you may have different metrics versus you know when you're six months in 12 months and etc so i'll say when i was new there are a little bit different metrics i would look at because if being new i'm like okay cool i want to be closing every single day 10k per day every single day well if i'm starting from scratch that might be realistic so understanding that as well. So like, for example, when I started, some of the things that I, I measured every single day, uh, number one, I measured reach. How much reach did I have with my posts? That was really important. So I'll take a look, like, hmm, this post got 3,000 views today. Did I book any appointments off it? I booked zero appointments. Okay. All right. Well, this decent reach. Okay, good to know. So I was measuring reach. And I was also measuring book calls and then also measuring revenue as well. Right. And then as your business starts to progress more, then I started measuring stuff like, okay, you know what? Measuring closing ratio. You know, hey, how many people showed up? How many calls did I book? How many showed up? What was my show up rate? What was my close rate? Why didn't it close? Also, it still be tracking stuff like, you know, you know, amount of, of views as well. And then on top of that, as it starts to expand, like, you know, I, I start building other parts of my process, like a landing page. I'm like, how many page views did I have this past week? What percent did I convert at? And I wasn't necessarily focused on the number of views, but more so the conversions, because conversions you can scale, right? So no, whether you have 100 people stop on your page or 1,000, what percent is it converting at, right? From you know the landing page to the opt-in to whatever they're watching, to booking a call, to close. So you start measuring every part of the process and you start improving it as you go. But you know I think the key is, is as a new business owner, you want to keep it really simple. What are the things that are going to move the needle the most? What's going to really move the needle? Like, let's just say, for example, let's just say if you are a mechanic who just started their own own shop and you want to bring in more customers, 
okay, cool. You may, you probably want to measure how many appointments did we book today? <laughs> okay. Like it's a very simple, how many did we book today? What was the average ticket size for that offer? That's very simple. And then of course, from there you can start improving. Okay. You know what? We're going to start and we're going to start doing Facebook ads in the local area. Okay. All right. How many people, you know, opted in to grab the coupon? You know, if that's what you're doing, okay, per day. So now you start having measurements, you start targeting, and then you start improving. And of course, you can get more refined, but, you know, when you start off, keep it really simple, keep it really lean. You know, getting eyeballs, getting eyeballs, right? Getting eyeballs, converting to meetings and revenue dollars. <laughs> and then mm -hmm. over time, you can get more granular and start improving other parts of the process as you get more of a complex funnel going. Measure what matters. So you mentioned when you were talking about your sales journey, you mentioned that you you went into leadership, I think a couple of times, and you did really well there. If you were either from sales, new into management, or you're a business owner looking to hire your first salesperson or two, what are the, I mean, what advice would you give to somebody that's new in sales leadership? I mean, do you have any tips on making that transition or, or anything that you've, that, from your experience? I'll say number one, when you're making that transition, understand this, the people you hire, they are not you. They're not you. And oftentimes, you know, a new business owner, a new leader, they're like, oh, cool. I bring this person on. They're just like me. Ray is just like me. He's going to do exactly everything I do. Well, no. Ray is a completely different person. He could be better or worse. You don't really know. So understand that. That thing is mismanaging your expectations, right? And then uh, second, when you bring people in, understand they are people. And, you know, you need to win the hearts and minds of your people, but also put them in a position where they're most likely to be successful. And that's everything from, you know, from, uh, you know, providing resources and training support from when you get onboarded, all with getting developed to the next level. Really, really important. Because a lot of times, the mistake I see people make is they bring somebody in, don't have a good system in place. So like, good luck. And I throw a person out there and then there's issues. Things aren't done well. Th things aren't done properly. And there's always issues. And then they're like, oh, that person's a bad hire, whatever role it was. Well, no, look in the mirror first. Did you as a business owner, did you as a sales, brand new sales leader, did you provide them the environment to be successful? If you didn't, you have a potential, you know, a train wreck of anyone you hire is going to go down the train wreck. So put in a system in place where you can onboard effectively and teach them and help them become great. Also, understand this, um, especially as a sales leader, you know, I think there's really three key skills you need to have outside of being great at sales, but you need to be really great at recruiting talent, right? Really good at recruiting talent. Like if you do a good job and your people are crushing it, they're going to get promoted uh, or they're gonna, you can give them other roles, uh, they're going to do something else or they'll get recruited away. So you got to make sure that you have a really good recruiting. Number two, you'd be really good at developing them ongoing. So it's not just onboard, train, see you good luck. That's not realistic. This is why, you know, it's not like Michael Jordan got on the team and then he never got coached again. Okay. <laughs> he got coached all throughout. So make sure there's ongoing training support to make sure they are maximizing themselves. Coach them to be successful. And then, you know, number three, you got to retain them. How are you going to retain them? What's important to them? Is it upper mobility? Is it further development? Are you treating them properly? Are you creating a culture of retaining? Because if you have a high turnover rate, you will burn cash. It will cost you so much money trying to hire and rehire and retrain. You become more stressed because when that person's not there, someone else is picking up a slack. If you don't do a good job of recruiting, then the rest of the team is getting burnt out, and then you have more turnover as a result. So 
Turnover, there's always clues, but you know, be a master of recruiting talent, developing talent, and retaining that talent. If you do those consistently, then your team will be perform a very high level and you'll have very low turnover as a result. That's great advice. I think the the cost of churn is, you know, like some organizations do a, a good job of trying to calculate that cost, but the it's the opportunity cost of the sales oh, leadership, right. you know, the sales manager or the business owner, like the the time that you're investing, the mental space that you're investing into oh, yeah. trying to fix that is not on on something else where you could be you know, more proactively moving the, the needle with, with sales priorities. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. Right. And it's one of those things where it's, um, you know, you want your team to be an extension of you. Like turnover is a growth killer. It's a massive growth killer. And because it forces you to do so much and your, your headspace, you're stressed. You know, if you are a sales leader, you have a quota you want to deliver, you know, because you want to hit your number because your job might be at stake, whatever it's going to be. So you need to make sure you retain your people. But that doesn't mean you keep bad people around because if after you provide training, development resources, and you're ongoing, if they're not performing, you got to move pretty quickly to make sure you have backfills ready to go if someone's not willing to, you know, to, to take action and get the result that you need. You know, one of the things that I've, I've wanted to ask you is because I've, I've seen a theme in, in your content and I, I read your stuff every day and I, there's a theme that you have about, about hard work. And I know your, like your work ethic is, I know, I know that we're part of a, you know, a, a mastermind together. I know, I mean, you are just a, you will work your ass off to grind things out. And I've, I've wanted to ask, what would you consider or what would you encourage someone to think about when you're thinking of, you know, there's kind of this, you know, there's the Tim Ferriss four hour work week type of like mindset, you know, would be as efficient as possible. And, you know, essentially trying to minimize the, you know, the, the work part of it, the work ethic part of it, but, but maximize output. Like it's, it's about working smart. It's not about being lazy, but about, about maximizing output. And then there's this, the hustle culture, you know, like the more Vaynerchuk type of mentality. What would you encourage someone to think about when they're, you know, or, or how have you, when it comes to work ethic, how do you think about that? I mean, how do you avoid burnout? How do you ensure that you're trying to be as efficient as possible? Like, what are some of your thoughts on that? So I think it's important to understand, um, number one, where do you want to be in three to five years from now? Your life. I'm not talking about just your business or sale, but in your, in your life, if you could picture your dream life, what would that look like? I think it's the first thing to understand because that determines what you do today. You know, so if, for example, like you love the hustle culture and, you know, and you want to work 100 hours a week, you can if you want, right? If that's the lifestyle you want to have in three to five years, you know, I'm also a firm believer as well. To get to the point you want to go, it does require quite a bit of initial effort up front. It really does. It's going to require a lot of sweat equity, but it's also finding a key balance for you. Like it's interesting. So some people say, Marcus, you're like a freaking machine. You must work all the time. Actually, I don't. You know, like, because for me, you know, when I quit corporate America, I was working easily 80, 90 hours a week, easily traveling nonstop. And that was totally fine until I had a kid. And then I suddenly, like, it's like overnight my head shifted. I'm like, oh man, what am I doing? What, what am I doing? Like burning the candle at both ends. Like, what am I, what's really important? And that was really important for me to have that shift in mindset. And I realized I want a time freedom. I wanted time freedom. I wanted to be in a position where I more control my time. And I was willing to put the work in. I was willing to still put time in, but I didn't want to work 80 hours to hit my goals. Like I'm okay with slower growth as long as I can still enjoy my life. So that's the first thing I understand. So where do you want to go and where do you want your life to be at? So like for me now, like even when I started the business, 
I actually maybe work maybe about 50 hours a week. I do work pretty hard, you know, but I'm pretty efficient in my 50 hours. So I don't work 60. I don't work 80. I work about 50 hours, sometimes less, but I'm hyper efficient in that time. Like everything is planned out to when I'm going to do things, right? And I do my best to be as disciplined as possible too. It's not always perfect, but I'm pretty efficient for a reason because I'm like, okay, I need, when I'm on this, I need, I need to work here because when my kiddo's up, I want to be with my kiddo. Like I want to make sure I can do those type of things. I want to be able to hang with my wife. I want to be able to have dinner and not be on my phone. All things are so important to me because I care more about my family and my wife and my kiddo than my business. And it took me a long time early on as a you know a young person in sales and in, in corporate America where I was very much focused on work first, family second. That's how it became. Work first, family second. It just became that's why I saw it growing up until I had a kid and then I realized. This is pretty hard. Like, I, I don't want to do this, right? I want to be able to enjoy my life. Like, what's the point of, like, you know, do, you know, working this hard if uh, I don't enjoy it? What's the point of earning all this money if I don't get to enjoy the money? So that's why when I started my business, I'm, like, I'm going to build a business where I can run anywhere on a laptop and be able to have time freedom. And it'll take more work right now. But it's interesting because even now I'm hitting a point in my business where I'm like, okay, you know what? I have a couple, couple assistants doing work for me. It's cool. In order for me to have more time back, I need to hire a salesperson next. That's my next hire. I'm like, I, I'm, I'm at the point. I'm like, I could do both right now, but I only take sales calls between um, like 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. That's it. Monday through Friday. Not before, not after, and not on weekends because I care about my time. Could I open up a calendar more and, and easily double my results? I definitely could, but I don't want to because <laughs> it's going to cost me the time with my family. So understand where you want to go and find a good balance. So I, have a, I have a mixture between I do work hard with the Gary Vaynerchuk style, but I really understand the the Tim Ferriss model as well, being hyper-efficient, get the maximum output in the amount of hours you're choosing to work. Yeah, Ferriss calls it in one of like minimum effective dose or something. Right, um, right. And, you know, and I, as you talk, I'm, I'm thinking like it's, it's kind of the flywheel approach, like work your ass off to get something going, but so long as you can see that it's taking you, like if you've, if you've done the preparation on the front end and you've, you know, as another Covey wrote, begin with the end in mind. If you know where you're going, get the flywheel going. And if you can see that it's taking you to that path, you're more inclined to work your ass off as long as you know it's getting you to, you know, the other side, your, you know, whatever your, right. your goal is. Um, right. I mean, you have some, some systems to help you manage your time and your efficiency and your effectiveness. How much of roughly 50 hours, how much of that is planning? How much of that is system building? How much of that is prepping for the week ahead? Or is that the same every week? Like how much time do you spend planning? Yeah, so it depends what it is. But I mean, most of it is, is mixed in throughout the week. So I have some automated things that, that pop up my counter that train me to do certain things. So it's very intentional, right? So for example, like, it's not like I sit down for a whole block. I'm like, okay, like, all right, for this time, I'm planning for the whole X, Y, Z. No, I'm super simple. So like, for example, like every Wednesday in my to-dos, it pops up. It says, plan out the following week's content. That's it. it takes me an hour to do, and then I do it. <laughs> okay. So it's literally that simple, right? So, so I have these micro habits that are built in that allow me to be hyper efficient. And that's really the key. The problems that a lot of people have is they don't they don't take time to do that. So for example, I even have an hour on my calendar. It's called my protected hour. In that protected hour, the only thing I do is I look ahead my following week and I make sure the means the means I've scheduled are ones I should be at. 
and I get rid of everything else. <laughs> okay. And then I plan out anything else that, that's really key things for the business that needs to be done. So for example, like I've already started planning out next week only because a to-do popped up for me to do. I'm like, okay, I need to film like 15 YouTube ads. I'm going to do it next week on Friday. I'm going to block the whole day. I'm just doing a bunch of ads that day. So there's times like that. So like I can, I can time block it out, but it's having systems in place that train you. It's not popping when it's due. It's popping away in advance so I can plan for when to do it. That's mm -hmm. really the key. And then I do it then. And when you start thinking this way, you're always going to be ahead of the game because it's like, okay, you know what? Like you don't, you shouldn't, you shouldn't have your pop up for pay bills due today. If it's due today. No, it should have popped up a week ago because either you can take care of it then or you plan time to pay your bills. Mm -hmm. So you start always working ahead. Like I'm all, I'm all, I'm dudes. Oh, that's a lot of stuff. Let me just go down Slack. Now let me go down whatever. That's not good. But you need to build some time to do certain things that you are going to repetitive that you know you should do. For example, first thing I do every morning, I review all my numbers. I double check all my numbers. I double check all my bank accounts. <laughs> I make sure everything is buttoned up, right? Like actually everything's dialed, like from my QuickBooks to my bank account, to everything, to my trackers. And then from there, I'm like, okay, cool. I'm good because I may need to make some shifts as a result of the numbers I look at, right? So, but it allows me to be able to react appropriately and be proactive. So for example, a few weeks back, I started noticing a dip in our open rates. I'm like, I'm a little worried here because I'm like, okay. So our burner emails were getting spammed. All right. We had 10 of them. They're all getting spammed. So I'm like, okay, I'm like, we got to fix this. Right. So I saw, and then boom, suddenly the next, like three days later, 0% open rate. I'm like, yep, we're stuck in the freaking spam now. Right. And so we had to warm those up. But now because I already had, I started seeing that I already built a, a, a plan B strategy which is doing LinkedIn outreach in a different way. Okay, so we already started running that campaign already to make sure the flow of points are still going. But this is why it's so key to have things like this in place that allow you to just gauge where you're at and make decisions that are based off data and not off feelings. You need to have system plays that pop up. You need numbers to track. This is why I like numbers because numbers don't lie. And you can work off the numbers, make a better decision for the future. But in terms of total number of hours, I mean, it's spread out, man. I mean, I'll say maybe, I don't know, five, maybe five hours a week for planning. I have, I have no idea. I really have no idea. Yeah. And when you talk about the numbers too, it's the numbers that you pick are really important too. If you're only focused on like the lagging indicator, like if, if you don't have any of the lead measures or the lead leading indicators, that's right. you're not going to see, okay, this is starting to go off the path. Like you're only going to see it after the fact. So, so making sure right. you have a good balance of lagging indicators you know when you when you get to the finish line but the things that influence that along the way so that you can predictably say okay this is going off off track let's build a contingency and be ready when when you need to 100 this is why it, a lot of people don't, don't understand the difference right because you need to have those leading in because they help you actually predict the future I'm a firm believer, you have to know your numbers inside and out. And you don't have to have them memorized, but you have a place where you can look at them and you can make really good foundational decisions based off data to create a better future because of that. Yep. Be objective about yourself. One question I wanted to ask you, and it's not it's not specific to sales or or management, but it's you you had a post recently about um about being the only Asian on a sales team. Yeah. And I think it speaks to something. I mean, something that we we really should be talking about more often, but just diversity within a team at all. But of course, like the sales team. And what I mean from from my experience, the best sales teams are the ones that are continuously improving. They're just they're iterating. They're just piece by piece. Like they, it's just it's nonstop, always optimizing the sales process. And 
the way that you can accelerate that is, is by getting people that think differently and act differently on a team. You know, I'm, I'm a systems person, so it's not that I want everybody doing everything completely off, you know, in, on, on their own way. But when you have the right mix of diversity on your team, like you can, you can follow a process and you can still kind of encourage innovation and think about things right. differently. But you, you oftentimes, you don't get that without diversity. If, if you only hire people that always think the exact same way you do, look the way like that's, I don't think it's a subject that's talked about enough in sales. Can you just share your experience and kind of your, some high level thoughts on, on how sales could improve in that space? Oh, 100%. So I'll give you a good example, right? So I remember, um, you know, one of the sales teams I joined, this is my just changed company. I joined the company and pretty much 90% of the sales team was like the same, like a 23 to 25 year old white male. Nothing against that, but that's what it was. Clean cut, shirt and tie, black suit, white shirt, black tie. You know, <laughs> you get it, right? And I'm like, hmm, interesting. I definitely stood out, stood out here, right? And they were underperforming. Makes sense, right? They had like one girl on the team. She was definitely ostracized just from everything. Just just totally stood out, right? I'm like, oh, perfect. Me and her, we stand out. Great. She ended up not making it. It was gone after like two weeks. So what's interesting is once I took over that team, because now months later I took over that team, I started to update the team in top grade. It was, it was so funny because fast forward a year later, it was a completely different team. Half my team was female, all right? At that point, we had people that were African-American. We had people that were from Pakistan. We had Asian. It was a diverse team. Like it was in also age as well. So like even age, I mean, we had people that were like 45, 50, 55, like just very diverse. When, you, when we had our annual sales meeting, I remember looking at my table, my team with everyone else. It was like, we're definitely a different team. We're a different, different team, right? It was interesting. I'm sure people looked at us like, oh, it's interesting, interesting hires there, right? But I wasn't hiring for, you know, I wasn't just like looking out for like a diversity. I was looking out for the best talent. And the best talent happened to people with these diverse backgrounds. And when I brought them all together, you know, that year we, we finished up the year with a good year. But then the second year we had a bang out year and became like, you know, team of the year. It's because we had a diverse team. We thought differently, different ideas. We had collaborative discussions. It made me better as a leader. It, because when they would bring up ideas, I didn't think about that. I shouldn't say something like that. Oh, I shouldn't do that. I, I didn't think about that. And that was really powerful to have because the diversity of thought, lots of ways of thinking. Like, you know how to yes people. That's the most dangerous thing you do. That's how you fall into traps. You want to surround yourself with ideally people that are better than you. Because in this way, they're going to make the team better. Then they can backfill you, then get you promoted as well. So it's okay to have diverse people. You want to have diversity. Diversity is how you're able to find new ways of thinking about things. But also, your prospects want it too. Because if it's always the same people reaching out to them, if you have a different type of person reach out to them, they may better connect. They may better connect with that voice, that person, because of how they're able to take the same message, but change it in a way that connects them in a better way. So this is why it's so key to make sure that you have diversity all across the board to make sure you are able to maximize your team, but also make yourself better as a leader and human being. Yeah, it's awesome. And the only thing I would add to that is if you're in a leadership or management role, if you're not hiring people that are better than you, you are ensuring that your job is going to be difficult forever in a perpetuity. Like the, oh, the, the surest path to making your job to being more productive with less time is surrounding yourself with people that are better than you. They'll make your job easier. They'll make your life easier. 
So I wanted to ask you on the business standpoint. So I, you know, a lot of respect for for you as a salesperson and then as a sales leader, but also as a, an entrepreneur. And I want to ask as an online entrepreneur, what are the toughest obstacles that you kind of had to to bust through? Have there been any times where you said, I don't know, I could go back and, and probably make a lot of money if I just took a, a sales role or a sales management role or something like that. Like what, have you run into any of those walls? What were they? And, um, and how'd you, how'd you kind of break through them? Definitely. Of course. I would say, especially early on, you know, when I first, when I first got going, right, you know, it had some early success, which I think it's just, you can't get the low hanging fruit and you're kind of feeling good and people are excited about what you're doing. And then you, you get to the point like, all right, the honeymoon stage is over. Now what's really going on? especially my first year, because I've been in business now for 19 months now. In my first year, that definitely hit a lot. You know, and every now and then it still creeps in even now, right? It happens, right? But early on, I'm like, man, this is hard. Like I remember, um, you know, it was like, okay, sales started dipping. I'm like, okay, what can I do? And I remember like, I'm like, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start running live webinars. So I started doing live webinars. This is before COVID hit, right? So I'm like, I'm starting doing live webinars. And I remember my very first live webinar I did. Like, and I was used to running webinars with my corporate job, but I was used to having someone do everything for me. Okay. Like I had teams of people, right? I had a lot of, I had a big, big staff. So I just had to show up and just deliver. But as a solopreneur, and I didn't have any VAs at that point, it was all my own. And I remember I get on the webinar. I'm really excited because I did a really good job promoting it. It's my first webinar. I have like 150 people signed up. I'm like, all right, cool. I'm going to do a really good job on there. I start the webinar and my camera doesn't work. And it's like, they can't see my screen. And like, uh, and I was trying to figure this out the first 10, 15 minutes. And literally I could see people just dropping off. I'm just like, oh no. Oh no. Like all my hard work. Basically, you, you work so hard basically to recruit people to a webinar and now they're all petering off. And I remember like, I get done, didn't sell anything, by the way. I didn't sell anything. I'm like, oh man, this is, why is this so hard? Like I'm good at presenting. I'm good at these things. Like, oh, I just totally botched this, right? And I was like, what's wrong with me, right? These ants started crawling. What's wrong with me? Why is this tech work? This stupid tech, blah, blah, blah. What's wrong with me? I should go back to corporate America. I'm way better at corporate America. And then I'm like, okay, I need to just pump the brakes there. What could I do differently? What else could I do? What could I do differently? Well, I just, uh, I didn't test the software beforehand. I just, I did the practice webinar, but I didn't try running, a, you know, just a, a dummy live webinar. I should do that. Okay. I didn't make sure everything worked properly. If I just did that, I would have fixed it. So I tried again. And uh, next webinar, made 5K. I'm like, all right, it worked. And that was a nice little win, right? Then, then I started doing this and I started making, you know, back to 10, 15, 20K a month. I'm like, okay, I'm feeling pretty good. All right, it kind of But now I started getting exhausted because I spent so much time recruiting people to a webinar and I was running two, three live webinars a month. It was wearing me out. I'm like, God, this is like, it takes so much effort to like, do these lives all, every single time. And then at that point, I'm like, I'm like, can I even do this still? Like this, it feels like so up and down, like to make zero money, and then a webinar, and then you get influx of cash and then zero money and an influx of cash. Like I hated that. So then I'm like, okay, I need to, I need to get some help. At that point, that's when I first invested into my first like real coach for internet marketing. Cause before I bought these courses and other things, it's my first one. I went and invested 10 K got into the program. And it's one of the best in the industry. That was so key for me. So key. There were just things in there. It's like, you just don't know what you don't know. You just don't know what you don't know. I mean, there were things about my marketing I didn't do a good job with, you know, from how I framed things up. You know, it's almost like I got lucky in a couple couple things, but I'm like, now they had a, a database approach about certain, you know, gathering intel and feedback from the market. I'm like, hmm, much better. So I started, I started doing that. 
that was really good. I started having, from there, I was able to build out systems in place. This is my first funnel I built. And now I'm like, okay, now I ran a beta launch and we had consistency. I'm like, now I'm flowing. I'm like, now I'm like a real business. And at that point, I was feeling really good at that point because it was still, it was still up and down to that point. And that was really till probably July last year, July, August last year. That was like, it still felt so up and down. And then by implementing that last coach did, it was like, and it was interesting is I was starting to get recognition from like, you know, from like, you know, LinkedIn and other people. I'm like, that's cool. But having recognition doesn't mean you're building a thriving, profitable business. But like, doesn't mean I was stressed out of my mind. I was stressed out of my mind, right? Until I messaged that coach. And that coach was so pivotal, right? And from there, I implemented all those things and having a successful and it kept going up from there. And then at that point, okay, cool. And then I, I got a new coach, you know, so I was investing into that program. It's been even, right? So, and what I learned is, um, you know, it's like, it's, it's constant reminder that um, you don't have to make it hard on yourself, you know, and that's what I was doing. If you can find people that have already done what you want to do consistently, how can you acquire their knowledge? I had tried the freemium. I tried figuring it out on my own, and you know, I had more time, but that stressed me out. And then I realized how much, how valuable my time is. I'm like, okay, you know what? I'm, I need to invest in these programs and just accelerate my results. Mm-hmm. And that was really key. For me to really own that was so key for myself. It made my programs better. It got better results. It helped skyrocket everything else part of my business. So instead of having this up and down feeling, now it's a consistent, a consistent that's growing nonstop. It's getting to a point where you know now we have I have two and a half you know assistants now, and then now I'm bringing on a salesperson in the next probably you know next month or two because we're, we're keep we we'll keep growing now because now it's real business. Not just like a side hustle, if you will. A real business is actually profitable and thriving, and also is really exciting to run. That's the most important thing. Yeah, I mean, it's all really good advice. The, I mean, if you're not willing to invest in yourself or or in your business, that is in and of itself, it's going to be a limiting belief. Now, obviously, you know, you you want to invest in the right program and you want to invest in the right people. Like I I, I get that, but when somebody comes to you and they they have proven success, they can teach you something. It's no longer a cost. It's a, it's an investment You're the, with the right person always multiplies in value. But if you're not willing to invest in yourself, it's, um, it's hard to, to get really like, skyrocket results. So before we head out, can you tell me a little bit about uh, six figure sales Academy? Um, who's the ideal person and and what do you do? Yeah. Awesome, man. So, um, it's one of my proudest products that I've ever built, right? Which is uh, it's our flagship program. It's designed for B2B sales professionals who want to earn an additional fifty to $100,000 more this year in commission bonuses. And it's been uh, pretty awesome that this is actually the fifth version now that we have made out. So now it's like people get faster and faster results. But here's the cool part, right? Because yes, making money, more money is cool. That's definitely awesome. What I absolutely love is who people become. All those things are so key. And it's one of those things where... I mean, we talked about this earlier, but I, I, there's no greater high than when you get that text or DM or whatever. And they say, hey, listen, I was able to do this because of you. I just got promoted. I just bought a house. I, we just got married. And I got the rings that she wanted because of you. That's why we do what we do, because it truly means it's about the impact. And when you're able to make that impact, it comes as a side effect. So that's what the program is for. So uh, I appreciate you asking. Yeah, you bet. And I think it goes right back to you got to be willing to invest in yourself you know right. and if you if you find the right program with a good coach it is almost a surefire way to multiply you know the the investment with good ROI so that's right and where can where can people find you if they're looking for you awesome so number one 
Head over to LinkedIn, look at Marcus Chan. It's the only guy with Speedos in the tagline because I did sell Speedos at one point. Uh, or you can head to sixfiguresalesacademy.com. That's sixfiguresalesacademy.com. Head over to those free trains, free resources, things going to help you absolutely crush it in sales. Awesome. Well, I really appreciate you dropping in. Um, had a, we'll have to have you back. I have, I have 20 more questions for you, so we'll uh, we'll fire it back <laughs> up. But I, uh, yeah, I appreciate your time and, and coming by, man. Thanks, brother. Great to see you.